a Compass International Pictures release, and here we go, beginning the movie Halloween. I'm John Carpenter, and sitting next to me today is Jamie Lee Curtis. The beautiful, talented, and legendary Jamie Lee. Jamie, how are you doing? I'm. Who cut that pumpkin, John? I'm uh, serious. Do you remember? Tommy Lee Wallace. He did, cut didn't the he? Pumpkin. He did. He did. We put a light in it, and we were in the same garage that we shot Donald Pleasance and Nancy Stevens in. Wow. And we dollied into it. Yeah, I remember it. So here we're here to talk about Halloween all these years later. Introducing me. There I am. You know, when you're now in the movies, you somebody says it stars you. We're also going to talk about other things than you today. Not Maybe. much. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good time well i guess i can't say that about the movie but that the time was still good so i think you had a better time with the movie than i did <laughs> uh, <laughs> so as someone who's has watched all 13 of these halloween movies within a I've week seen, i've seen 11 i haven't seen the zombies I'll tell you right now, as your friend, I would highly recommend not watching those. That the, has been literally everyone's reaction. Yeah. So I'll, I'll I'll sum it up really quickly. The first zombie is basically the origin of Michael, but then there's like some really graphic, really gross shit in it. The second one is just dumb. Like, it's, just, yeah. like it's, it's, it's so really not worth it. I think I gave the first one like one and a half stars, and I gave the second one like one star. They're pretty bad, I'm not going to lie. But when we get to the end, toward the end of the conversation, I think we'll kind of talk about the totality of this series a bit. But since you did see this bad boy first, and I think we both gave the 2018 Halloween four stars on Letterboxd. Mm-hmm. But I think that Lois Strode and her character may have a bigger place in your heart, even though I do love her character and I do. We both love Jamie Lee Curtis and I, I do as well. But I want to concede the floor to you first. So I want you to kind of set up what were you thinking going into the movie? What were you thinking during the movie? And what are your thoughts right now on the movie? Oh, I think going into it last week, we mentioned that I was hopeful like, I was optimistic, but realistically, I, I had a feeling that it was not going to be it. Yeah. I was not super, super with the shits about it being a COVID metaphor. And I'll be honest, the way in which I didn't think I would like it was very different than the way I didn't like it. Okay. All right. All right. So, um, so I was very excited to get Jamie Lee Curtis trying to heal Time has passed. We now have 20-year-old Allison. That all interested me. Yeah. And we have Michael, who has been in hiding this whole time. And I was kind of excited to see the final righteous fury of Jamie Lee Curtis. And I was kind of excited to see Allison step in as, like, the next kind of survival girl. Yeah. Instead, we got a movie about a white boy who's sad. (laughs) 
on Letterbox, I put in my review, this is an incel's wet dream. Like, this shit was... So, so let me just set the scene for you of me seeing this movie. Right. I was kind of like, all right, this is, like, interesting, but where's Michael? All right, I'm kind of interested, but where's Michael? I'm only kind of interested, where's Michael? <laughs> and then I checked my phone, and I realized it had been an hour and 15 minutes, and Michael hadn't even hurt anyone yet. Wow. <laughs> it got to the point where Matthew and I were keeping a score, and we were like, here we are at the bottom of the ninth, and the score is Corey 8, Michael 2, who's going to win? Like, like, we were, like, doing bad baseball jokes. Hilarious. And so there's a couple reasons that this movie bothered me, one of which is that I feel that it kind of failed the premise of a Halloween movie. I agree with that. Two, if they wanted to imply that Michael was supernatural in this way, I wish there had been literally any foreshadowing about it before now, especially because Gordon Green came out and said that he wrote Kills and Ends in the same weekend. No fucking way, really? Ugh, woof. Well, <laughs> I can tell, I guess. It makes he he only said that to one outlet. But, like, I wish that it, if that was the case, that Kills had been a little bit more of a transitional movie to ends. Because I also feel that, well, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, or I'm sorry, Halloween and Halloween Kills don't really feel like a piece. There are some moments where they feel like a piece. Yeah. And this movie is, like, the cousin that everyone knows is an affair baby, but nobody wants to say anything. <laughs> Shout out to us. It's so not it. And not only that, I think that Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie Strode is really the, the bright spot in this film. Yeah, I would argue the only bright yes. spot. There were a couple problems with Allison. Uh, one is that theoretically in 2018, she was 17 years old, which means she's 20 now. So she should not be a registered nurse nor drinking in a bar. <laughs> but I guess the drinking in a bar I can kind of chalk up to like final girl privilege. Because if you, it's, it's the little girl from 78's bar. Like, yeah. whatever. Fine. Every, everybody got fake IDs at some point. So. But also, like, if you survive that, like, fuck it, you can have a beer, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But my big problem with her is uh, they seem to give her a strong dose of the bimbo potion. She was making some weird-ass choices. In that but movie, also, man. she's never in any danger. She never does anything. Because she never has to. Because she's yeah. never in danger. Yeah. I am baffled by the choices that are made in this movie. <laughs> and and additionally, I think you might remember that I really hated Halloween Kills, but I did say some positive things about it. Do you remember how much I loved the shot of him on the bridge with his own reflection? And oh, how I said it? it. Yeah. Yeah, and it evokes like classical art. Yeah, that was There is not a single fucking moment like that in this movie. <laughs> It's you, shot like a Marvel movie. So it has Bohemian Rhapsody editing is what it has. There was a time when Michael was fighting Laurie, and I was like, I don't know who's doing anything. I literally can't tell. It was a bit static, yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, there, there just weren't a but lot now of I'm, positives all to the, this all, all the scenes that took place in 1978 and Kills, I think, are the high point of Kills, right? I don't think there are a lot of high points of Kills that aren't those. There are a couple, but it's mostly those. I literally have Kills on my second monitor right now because I'm like, was I wrong? To me, there's only two good parts of Kills. The bridge scene at night yep. and Big John and Little John. Well, yeah, but I think that the first flashback where he accidentally kills his partner 
Yeah, okay, yeah. And that, that we get to well, see yeah. what Halloween, like, the events of 78 Halloween have meant to multiple people in the town. Yeah. That's a thing David Gordon Green does so well. And it made me so angry that the protagonist of the third one is, like, a guy who wasn't even an extra in the high school dance. <laughs> Was he even technically in their high school? No. So she's 20 and he's 24, possibly 25, which is fine. But like. (laughs) We couldn't get like Corey in like some corridor in the hospital and kills or. Yeah, he could have literally been anywhere. Trick or treating. He could have been in the crowd chanting evil dies tonight with all the golf clubs and stuff taking on Michael. <laughs> You're now entering the spoiler zone. Imagine if he was the only survivor. He's the only survivor at the end of kills. He kills that kid, and all these things are dominoing affecting into people going, Yeah, he is evil. That would have made a little more sense than just like he killed a kid by accident and everyone in the town hates him now. The end. Like That was so strange. Like what? Oh my god, don't even get me started! <laughs> Yo, Corey the incel, what the fuck? So I have a pitch on how I think this movie would be better. And I think I should save it until the end. Okay, all right. But I have one change that isn't even a very significant change that I think would make the movie twice as good. I think for me, I think the further that we got away from what the original Halloween meant in 78, I just think that the wheels came off of like every subsequent film. And I funny thing is when I was ranking the 13 films, I think the best three are the original H2O and Halloween 2018. And that's because they are purposefully aware of, we need to be a little bit more to the source of Jamie and Michael. We need to, we need to invest in characters. You know, we, we need to kind of make the stakes high. We need to follow these people. We need to care if they live or die. Every other sequel movie, regardless of whether it's the Thorn trilogy, the zombie movies, or the Blumhouse trilogy, none of those did that at all. And this was Pasadena. It is. And this particular house, I take it's your house. Yes. Has a little shrine outside to you. Oh, does it? It has a little thing with pumpkins, and it says, this is the house that Jamie... Jamie Lee Curtis sat on the porch. Wow. And that's my car at the time. <laughs> my Cadillac. And there you are making okay, your so this cinema outfit, debut. There I am right now. Tell me about the outfit. Well, first of all, my hair had been permed. <laughs> and, then, and then we decided to let it just go frizzy. So that's uh-huh. why my hair looks so thick, because my hair is thinner than yours, uh-huh. John. Um, and the outfit was from J.C. Penney. Um, we decided to buy all of her clothes as if her mother was buying her clothes for school. Uh-huh. And you basically go to one place and you buy an entire, quote, wardrobe. You know, a new skirt, uh-huh. pants, turtleneck, sweater, those tights, the shoes. But it was perfect. And what you established here, even though, by the way, it's supposed to be fall and none of the trees are I know this. anything but green. And you actually do see some... Palm trees occasionally. in a minute. Yes, but two. what was beautiful was the establishment of just the regular life of a young girl. Look at all the screen time I gave you. I know, but walking. It, but you like, but that's how you established it, John. There's Tommy, Tommy Doyle. 
little Tommy Doyle. Who is now a grown-up human Brian being. Brian Andrews. Who is uh, at all the conventions. Yes, I've seen him. He's a very nice guy. But this was just beautiful. This establishment of just this regular small-town life was exactly what you needed to establish to allow something frightening to come in because you really believe in these very simple shots that we are really these people. I, I believe it. And I think I think the Blumhouse trilogy, it's it the last two films, the ideas were way too big and they couldn't execute on those at all for the very most e- part. Except the other thing is that in the case of the third one, the idea is not about Michael. Yeah, Gordon yeah. wanted to make a movie. He wanted to make It Follows <laughs> and then had to figure out how to fit Michael Myers into it. So strange. Um, so I just watched the sequence where Hawkins just had to like hold his partner's hand as he died. Yeah. Shit, that is more touching than anything that happens in this movie. <laughs> just to back it up, first of all, one thing that I have noticed and I feel the need to talk about is that while I feel kills tonally is a departure, stylistically it does fit with 2018. The shooting style is the same. The lighting style is roughly the same. Yeah, I would guess they will all have the same cinematographer. Yeah, but three doesn't feel like one and two, in my opinion. Additionally, they pretty much ditch score. It is now all diegetic music. Mm. And the score in Halloween movies is always so much of the pulp. Part of the reason that Michael is scary is because of his sound cueing. I think they tried to give Corey that when he put the mask on, but it wasn't really effective. And they mostly use diegetic music. There are times when Corey is doing things that the radio station is playing. Yeah. He does not have consistent sound cueing. He doesn't have the when he sits up. He doesn't have any of it. Also, and this is a nitpick, but I do feel the need to point it out. They use the Season of the Witch font for the opening credits. Was it? Really? Yeah. Yeah, that is the Halloween 3 Season of the Witch blue 80s font. I mean, I fuck with Season of the Witch, but that's kind of a weird I fuck weird with pivot. Season of the Witch, too. But you know who doesn't fuck with Season of the Witch? <laughs> Michael Myers. <laughs> Not at all. He killed three kids who had Seasons of Witch masks on, so he doesn't fuck with it at all. And then he put adults' decapitated heads in those very <laughs> same masks. Oh, man, this is, a, this is a wild fucking movie, boy. This is a wild movie. So I watched 2018 right after we potted last week. Now I'm watching Kills. Mm-hmm. And in 2018, you see the doctor and the nurse from Kills leave their house. Yeah. You see them leave. And it's the same actors, and they don't do anything until this movie. Yeah. But they knew they were going to be back, and they included them. Yeah. And also, in their introduction scene, the guy who is dressed as the doctor, but in real life is the nurse, is talking about the same doctor that is harassing Allison in ends. Oh, wow. So hmm. clearly somebody cares, but not enough. <laughs> I mean, people care, but it doesn't mean they can execute. But they also care about the weirdest shit. Like, (laughs) (laughs) my biggest problem with this movie is that they sideline the main character really from the first two. Because Allison is really the audience POV character, right? Mm -hmm. Well, we look at her and we go, this makes sense. I am worried about her. She seems normal. She's 78 Lori. Yes. Lori is now kind of the Luke Skywalker of this mission. Yeah. 
and the big bad is still Michael. Except it isn't. This movie seems to me like somebody said, hey, they said they made him too supernatural in the last one, so you gotta, like, make him a realistic 70-year-old man who lived in the sewer. Oh, man. And I was like, okay, but that undercuts the continuity that y'all have already established. Yeah. The other thing that's wild about this movie is that there are less kills in this one than there are in Halloween 2018. I kind of appreciate that, though. I'm not gonna lie. I do and I don't. If it's a finale, make it a fucking finale. I'm not making it up when I say eight of the 11 kills are Corey. I'm sorry, eight of the 10. 80% of the kills in this movie are someone we did not know at the beginning of this movie. Yeah, Michael only kills the one who stole her job and Corey. That's it. Oh, and the cop, but they kind of tag team that. <laughs> they gangbang kills. That was wild. That was they... so wild. <laughs> oh, man. The Eiffel Tower kills. Like, that's fucking crazy, bro. Like, what the fuck? I mean, fuck? there's a reason I made the meme of them as the Young Bucks. I don't want to spoil this for people, but also, like, clearly no one cared about spoilers for this because the internet was wild. The timeline put videos of the movie Saturday and Sunday. No one cared about spoiling this movie. But I also think it's so interesting because the only stuff the trailer showed us was the last half hour. Because uh, they knew. They only showed us the end. They knew. They fucking knew. Instead of getting any sort of mystery or suspense or thrills or anything, we start off with this scene that I rewatched it last night. I rewatched the whole movie last night. But I decided to pay specific attention to this first scene because I felt it was tonally abysmal. <laughs> and with all the very, very bright colors and the way that they framed that first scene, first of all, it feels like it's a completely different movie. Uh... It is so much brighter, and I mean like primary colors brighter than any other scene in this movie, including scenes during the daytime. Yeah, the house is was really lit. Over, yeah. Overly lit, I would say, yeah. Yes, and the, like, music of the kid falling and, like, the cadence of the kid falling seems like it's supposed to be a comedy. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of laughed. I laughed when he got hit with the door, and then <laughs> everyone well, gasped so when he fell. When I saw this in theaters, there were quite a lot of beats that clearly were meant to be dramatic, or the audience laughed out loud. <laughs> Oh, I did. I love the ridiculousness, yes. So, Corey, in the great school of S Stephen King, has an overbearing mother. Woof. And at one point she's like, who are you calling under the table? You know, she's clearly trying to be threatening. And I do feel like the actress is doing a pretty good job. I will say, every performance in this movie, I feel everyone is just trying to make hay while the sun shines. <laughs> they're Hilarious. like we've got like one line and that's it and this movie sucks and we know it sucks but we're gonna make this one line so fucking good so we can get more work shout out to the dj dj willie yeah but like <laughs> everyone in this movie even Corey, is like there's got to be one moment in here that can go in my reel and it will all be worth it yeah that energy is palpable and i i appreciate their contributions <laughs> So that's a positive she's, thing. She's like trying to threaten him and everyone in my theater is like. Pfft. Yeah. <laughs> Tee hee hee. When she hits him, people started laughing. Oh shit, really? 
Yeah, when she's banging on the door to the bathroom before she hits him, people were laughing. Like, when the woman accosted Laurie Strode in the parking lot and was like, my sister can't speak because of you, people started laughing because they were like, did everyone take crazy pills? Her closest neighbor was a mile away, and that's canon. They blamed Lori for Michael getting away. Like, I, you know I was who so else confused. seems to have so taken confused. crazy pills? Allison. I mean. Like, she seems to have forgotten the two movies she was in. And I get that, like, trauma sometimes, like, happens that way, and that's, like, a thing, and I get that. But also, like, so she lives with her grandmother, but also unequivocally blames her for everything that has happened. Like, not even Judy Greer blames her. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's like, you provoked him. And I'm like, but what? <laughs> like... <laughs> By existing? By acknowledging that he was more capable than people were giving him credit for? (laughs) Yeah. By being admittedly rightfully concerned? You know what I feel like this movie was maybe missing, though? What? Judy Greer. I just feel like there needed to be a presence in this movie that was trying to de-escalate anything at any point. And since this movie decided that Allison hates Lori now... They couldn't ever de-escalate each other. And since yeah. Corey didn't get his bivalent booster and caught the evil, he couldn't de-escalate oh, anything. <laughs> and we'll get into that clunk- clunky 5G metaphor. We'll get there. But <laughs> there needed to be someone in the movie that was able to get the characters to talk to each other instead of just yelling around each other. It could have been Hawkins. It could have been Hawkins. It could have been Corey. And I have a pitch for that. Like, there's a lot of characters it could have been. It could have been the bartender. So instead of them ever talking to each other and having moments of growth, it was all them yelling around each other. Yeah. You know, one part I kind of appreciated before the movie went off the rails? I actually appreciate they sandwiched a rom-com in the middle of two gruesome murders. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I have a pitch for that. The other thing that frustrated me is not only did this movie rob Allison of agency, but it kind of robbed Corey of agency as well. Let's talk about that. Yes. Let's let's so, we have to talk about the incel. Let's let's go for it. The idea seems to be that he caught the evil and before that he was fine. And and you know what? I kinda believed it. The way that he acted and the face that he made when he saw that that kid had died. The kind of far off look he got in his eye when he spoke about it. The way that he seemed to clearly be like, this was a bad thing that happened. And I'm aware that I am like responsible, even though I'm not responsible. Yeah. It wasn't malicious responsibility. This bird with a broken wing persona. Kind of into it. So then for him to just like breathe the same air as Michael Myers and just be like, ah, The time has arrived for me to be evil. It seems really careless. It seems like David Gordon Green didn't know how to write a transition. So he just didn't. (laughs) So I think his problem, Corey's problem, is kind of a microcosm of all of Haddonfield. Because in the two movies, Kills and Ends, they really try to composite this idea that if Michael Myers was not alive... We will be living in a peaceful society with no murder, no robbing, no violence. And then this one man has caused one night of terror. His domino affected every single person going insane. So no one has any agency. No one has any free will. No one has any kind of 
responsibility of their actions at all. We just kill this one man and all of a sudden our lives are remotely better, like exponentially better. Like it's just not realistic. It's just, it was so strange. Yeah. And, and so I guess he, he, great, fine. Like (laughs) cat is visibly frustrated right now. (laughs) I'm also watching kills and, uh, in the establishing shot, Sandra is definitely still alive so that's fair and she's just watching Michael torture her husband who is dead she is watching Michael torture his body testing those knives and I think it's really interesting that uh, clearly somewhere along the line they decided like oh Michael's like into torturing the living now yeah because that feeds into my good idea better you keep teasing it let's go you keep teasing it what up, you mutant miscreants? It is I, Oroko Saki, aka The Shredder, here to tell you about the Shredhead podcast, starring me, The Shredder, and my best friend, my main brain, the brains of the outfit I'm talking about, Krang. Krang is there. He's my producer. We have a podcast. It's utterly ridiculous. It's an insane premise. Uh, to top it all off, I, I haven't even seen the Ninja Turtles in years, but we're primarily talking about hoops. Yes, the national, the national BA, the W national BA. Um, uh, oh damn it! I've run into the lyrics. I'm sorry, but just check out the Shredhead podcast. It's me. It's crying. It's crazy. All right. So imagine that Corey is like peripherally involved in 2018 somehow, whether that's through the original Halloween 2018 or Halloween kills, whatever. Right. Maybe he's just in the crowd. Maybe he's at the high school dance. Maybe he comes across a dead body in the street and sees Michael, but Michael's on his way to his next thing. So he doesn't like stop and say hi, (laughs) but like regardless, right. He's in there. And the next year around Halloween, he starts seeing Michael. So when the kid that he's babysitting starts, like, puts the knife on the stairs, pretends he's being attacked, he gets really elevated because he's been seeing these visions of Michael, he's been seeing these paranoid things, and now the kid is maybe taken by Michael. Okay. So he still kills the kid, which, all right, fine. But then as time goes on, the police come and he says, I saw Michael, I saw Michael, I felt him. And so people are already... Like, okay, you know what? Stop mentioning Michael. He didn't come up. He wasn't here. You did this. And that's kind of why the town hates him. It isn't because he killed a kid. It's because they also evoked Michael. And it's a whole thing. In 2022, you know, things have not changed particularly. Like, Laurie and Allison basically can stay a little basically unchanged. But he's still seeing Michael everywhere. And he's feeling him. And he starts seeing flashes of Michael doing things. That haven't happened. So he always goes and he gets on his bike. And that's maybe part of the reason why he's trying to get a motorcycle or whatever so bad. He shows up on his his bike and he's always late and he always just finds bodies. And the police notice that he's always finding the bodies. But there is no evidence that he did it except that he keeps phoning them in. Okay. And so finally he goes to Lori and Allison and is like, I can feel him all around me. I see him. I know that he's doing these things. And Allison's like, hey, it's okay. I see him too sometimes. And she kind of tries to like take him on. 
as a like, let me help you. And Lori is trying to help him move on. She's also trying to help Allison move on. And she's like, maybe they can help each other move on. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so then I can finally go on a date with Officer Hawkins. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so the romance subplot is largely unchanged. All the kills that are Corey's, give them to Michael. Just yeah. wholesale. And this would feed into Michael's like tormenting the dead or tormenting the living thing. Corey is is breaking down quickly. Because the whole last like third of this movie, roughly, happens on Halloween night, right? Yeah. So Halloween night, he is seeing these flashes of people. He is riding his motorcycle from place to place. He is only finding bodies. He is calling the police. The police are so confused. And while he's, you know, with the police, he, he gets another vision. He has to try to go find them. Mm-hmm. And it finally culminates in him seeing Michael in the bush outside of Lori's house. So he goes over there as quick as he can. He assumes it's already going to be too late. He breaks down her door. She saw him in the bush as well. She shoots and kills Corey. This is when Allison comes in. Corey also assumes if he leaves Haddonfield that the visions will stop. So that's why he's trying to leave. Allison comes in, sees Corey dead, does not believe either of them that Michael is back. (laughs) But Michael is back and it becomes a haunted house movie for the last third. But the last third is largely unchanged overall. So making him more of like a cursed prophet like a Cassandra type figure from Greek mythology, I think would be a lot stronger because a Michael would do a lot more of the killing B it would turn it into like a mystery slash suspense slasher. Yeah. So you could make the POV whatever you wanted. You could make it. However, he's seeing these omniscient visions. You could show Michael doing it and him just feeling it happen. Like you could really do whatever you wanted to do. Right. Yeah. But it make the evil. The town would rather ignore what was happening than acknowledge something like that could be happening again make their evil late stage pandemic (laughs) where they're all pretending it isn't still happening yeah that's funny because then you could also see this character maybe if i help michael the visions will stop maybe if i leave with this girl i really like the visions will stop yeah but michael as he so maybe it starts with him killing the people that are bullying him so he's like, oh, like Michael is on my side. And then kills the parents. Wait, but he killed someone that was holding my girlfriend back. But he killed my parents, and now he's coming for Lori. And, like, yeah, make, it, make it more of a progression. Because that way it still implies that he's, like, having this reign of terror, and he's just happening to kill anybody that's in his way. Yeah. But also makes it a little bit more of him, like, fucking with the person who can see him. As he does in Halloween Kills, it's concurrent with Michael's character. And I also think if the idea is that, like, Corey, if he sees Corey in a similar way to how he sees Lori as, like, a babysitter that did his best, I think that adds a whole lot of more interest to Michael and his motives, if there are motives. Yeah. Because in the 1978 Halloween movie, he only kills the negligent babysitters and their distractions. Yeah. That's it. And in 2018, he he really only kills negligent adults and negligent kids, high school, you know, high school students as well. In this one, he kills Big John and Little John. He kills every in kills. He kills everybody. But like, I think that's because he can't get at Lori. It's him lashing out like a little kid. So So then for him to make the, the culmination of that, him trying to kill people to impress someone that he thinks might be like him while still being weird and supernatural. I think would be better. I think one of the problems that they had with kills is they couldn't commit to is Michael really chasing Lori or not. 
is he just mowing people down murder by numbers or is he trying to make his way to Lori? Well, I think that basically the way that you would recontextualize that if you're doing it my way is the (laughs) idea that he is acting out to get her attention. Okay. That's why he kills Judy Greer, for example. Okay. To draw Lori out. And she doesn't come out and the Halloween magic ends and he goes away to regroup. I think they were really scared to touch anything supernatural. Especially Except after they storms. did it. He's a 70 fucking year old man who gets shot twice at point blank range. Three times actually if you count what happens in 2018. So he is free bleeding from his three missing fingers on fire and he kills like i think 46 or 48 people in the course of halloween kills imagine that's we introduce Corey in kills right and Corey goes he's trying to get laurie's attention you know he can kind of see these little like flashes into michael's brain right Mm -hmm. and then judy greer gets axed laurie wakes up (gasps) like that's the end it's Corey trying to get to Judy Greer, not making it. Maybe that's when he sees Michael. He sees him in the window. Where then they can maybe finally acknowledge that the thing that he liked to look at from his sister's window was the radio tower, since that's clearly what they were teasing. And they're clearly trying to imply that the radio tower tells them to do things, but they like <laughs> didn't know how to talk about it without making it sound like 5G, and they should have just cut it, but they didn't. Um, Hilarious. Is the is the radio tower in Kills? No, but it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be in 2018, too, by the way, but they cut it both times for time. Oh, so they just put this big thing in, in ends. They put the Ooh, big no. ending in ends without ever setting up the setup, yeah. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. That's, that's And you can kind of tell when you watch it and then you think about it for literally any amount of time. In the end, you know? is it... Is there, like, any flash of the tower when he's staring out the window at all? No. Jeez. But there was supposed to be. The same way that Francis Ford Coppola is is retconning his edits on Godfather 3, they got to retcon and edit on fucking Halloween kills (laughs) and Halloween. (laughs) Set up this through line. Jesus Christ. I'm just going to ask you the question. I mean, look, this is it. We're not going to be doing this again, you and I. Okay. Clearly, you had no future thought for this. This, this, this. For this movie, for this. I, no, no, no. There was no, like, quadruple in your head. This of, movie was simply about this story, these girls on this night. Yeah. It needed to end the way it did because you Michael Myers kill the is a force of nature yeah. as opposed to a human being. Yeah. He's, a, he's evil. Incarnate. It was the idea of the producers. I understand. To I, make I, 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 no, I understand that. No, this I I still feel this didn't need to have a sequel. What are your thoughts on this franchise overall? So you didn't watch the zombie movies again. You don't need to. But for the eleven that you saw, what are your overall thoughts on it? Honestly, your and my thoughts on this are fairly similar. I was reading your your list earlier, and I was like, yeah, all right. I think that after Halloween, OG, Halloween 2, like taking Season of the Witch out of it for a minute because like it's not in like continuity. I think 4 is decent. Return of Michael Myers. Yeah, it's decent. It's not great. But like 
then five and six are so far off the deep end that it's like, all right, never mind. <laughs> yes, they really are. But I will say that I think Halloween 4, Return to Michael Myers, is better than two out of the three movies in this series. Oh, yeah. In, I, in, I agree. in the Gordon Green series, which is gross. <laughs> so the, the 2018 series fails as a series. Because of how tonally inconsistent they feel, and also how the third one isn't actually a sequel. It just kind of is like... Imagine the last half an hour of this movie didn't exist, right? And the idea is just that Michael has created another murderino. And it's really about Corey. And kind of almost like Season of the Witch, it's like a sidebar story. I was going to ask, is this technically a reboot? It feels like a reboot. I did notice that they didn't... Yeah, but they didn't put his body... In the in the the thingy. Oh. Oh. And if he is now our Michael, you know, have you ever seen any of those things where they're like, I don't understand why people are afraid of Chucky. You could just kick him. That's how I feel about Corey. Just kick him. <laughs> yes, absolutely. He's like five foot three. Just kick him. I'm taller than Corey. Just kick him. He was getting bullied by high school seniors. He was a 25 year old. They weren't even seniors. Like, come on. Kick man. him. To me, Chucky is scarier because he can hide behind throw pillows, which was something my childhood home was full of. Hilarious. Fit in any crawl space. Yeah, exactly. Like, he could be behind, like, behind the throw on my couch, and I would not notice until he <laughs> stabbed me in the spine after I sat down. That, to me, is a lot creepier than, like, oh, I have to fist fight a five foot three, like, twink. <laughs> Yeah, he is that the Corey guy. He's he's not with the shits. So if they had presented this as like a side story, Michael is the mentor figure with the the Jamie Lee and Allison subplot concurrently. Maybe I would have liked that better. I think the only way I would have liked this better is if they eliminated big ideas, eliminated love lives here today or whatever the fuck is called down. Like just I, I wish I had my notes in front of me because I forgot to grab them before we started. One at one point that says something about like rather be pooping. And I was like, you and me both, homie. You and me both. So I think though if this were like a scary story and story is spelled like a portmanteau of story and Corey. And it was just like fully divorced from Halloween, right? But the whole town is obsessed with this serial killer that disappeared. And this one guy who's getting bullied finds him in the subway. And it's basically like the mask, right? Or like the sewer. Yeah. It's like the mask, but e- more evil and fucked up. Maybe that would be a decent movie. I think this movie is better as a movie than it is as a Halloween movie. Maybe, maybe. But as a Halloween movie, I think it fails completely. And actually, as no, the third installment in a trilogy, I think it fails completely. I agree. It actually does fail as a Halloween movie because what made Halloween 2018 so great is that they knew to focus on the strokes. It's about yes. Lori, her daughter, and her granddaughter. And when we get to kills and ends, everything's fractured. Everything in the ends is their relationship is. Well, I feel like chills could be really interesting to as a bridge piece, right? Now we get to see the macro view. We get to see the whole town. And even though I don't like it, like, I get it, right? Yeah. And then it brings it back in real close for ends. Yeah. Except it doesn't bring it in real close to anyone we care about. (laughs) 
I mean, are you saying you don't care about love lives today? I am saying <laughs> that Corey and Allison knew each other for three days. Oh, man. <laughs> And that he was, she was fully prepared to risk it all Man. for Dick she had known for three days. So crazy. Allison, Man. who just in the movie picked up a shotgun and is like, fuck this bastard, I'm gonna win. Who just like told her mom to eat dirt and gave her grandmother a knife. Her unconscious grandmother, who's making plans and plans to try to stop this maybe supernatural man, who just, like, gave up. And I know the character didn't give up. The writers gave up on her. <laughs> she finally got a real bad case of men writing women. I would where they're like, what are early 20s women like? And I'm like, well, we already did the one that was, like, hardened by her trauma. So I guess we just got to make this one, like... Kind of a, a, a ditz, but she's got to be a, a registered nurse. She can give vaccines and take blood. Hilarious. But she's also got to be like, not like a slut, but like slut adjacent. <laughs> we got to make her easy because there's a short timeline in which they can know each other. And speaking of women, I, I want to point out something pretty significant that I think that we really don't see outside of 78. Mm. I want to blink it in the show notes also, but I shared with you the commentary from the 35th anniversary of the original Halloween, yes. where it's a commentary track between Jamie Lee Curtis and John Carpenter. And then one of the points that they talked about was Deborah Hill. You and it's like just, this is so person. real, this moment. Girls talking on the phone going, God, why are you, stop you scared me. It's just so real. And of course, later, when the phone comes into play, it's just beautifully threaded. <clears throat> I got to give Deborah Hill a lot of props for that. She she helped us both as screenwriters through the girl thing. Mm -hmm. how, mm -hmm. do, how do teenage girls right. act? And look at this. Uh -huh. This is so... We did so, this all in one shot, Jamie. Yeah. Look at this. One shot. We walked at... into the window to the phone call into bed. Yep. Look how beautiful that is. And how she was the one to give John ideas about how to write the three girls. So, yeah. and so I think that's remarkably underrated. Absent. Oh, absent, absent in this, yes. But I think underrated in totality because they built out those lives so well and so interesting and so humanistic and so real of 78 that and I feel really like Lori, Lori does it. I feel like 2018 does okay. Yeah. I feel like yeah, Hills does less. It, yeah. But I also feel like Lori is okay. But I think that is because Jamie Lee Curtis goes, no, she wouldn't do that. She would do this. Yes. Yes. When they're sitting on the stairs at the end outside her house. And she says, I think I'd like to see the cherry blossoms. I was like, get it. Literally get it. Like, I am so, like, yes. That's the rom-com we need out of this also, shitty uh, movie. Shout out to the sound mixing team for including a diegetic version, a, mo a Muzak version of Don't Fear the Reaper in the grocery <laughs> store. When they eat, it's Muzak, Don't Fear the Reaper. I missed that one. I missed, I caught it in the last one, obviously, but I missed the one in the grocery store. That's funny. 
based on what happened in Kills, it seems like they really neutered Michael, and I don't understand why. Yeah. And they tried to make us care about this character that we've never heard of before, and I don't really understand why. And they completely changed the two characters we did care about. And in one case, it feels earned. Like, Laurie's growth feels super earned. I would say so. At one point, they panned to the thing that um, Judy Greer made, the, like, hand thing that says, like, I love my mom, or I'll always take care of my mommy. And then it also pans up to the picture of the three girls from the original. But also, let me just tell you, this feels so divorced from the original that both times I watched this with people, the people who are, in some cases, bigger fans of Halloween than me, said, that's not Judy Greer and Allison. Oh... Oh no! Because that movie never really put any stock in their deaths or them at all. (laughs) I'm watching Bridge, Michael. I never thought I would feel so happy watching Halloween Kills as I do right now. I feel like this movie actually has respect for Michael Myers, Monster Man, possibly too much respect for it, and they they try to counterbalance that in ends but they counterbalance that too hard and just make it seem like they're like fuck we gotta make another movie with this asshole speaking of that i think one of the tells that only hindsight could really see this but i think one of the tells that halloween 2018 was going to succeed and the other two were just not they really cherry picked the best of all those other movies Mm -hmm. and they really knew that okay well some people maybe like critically didn't really fuck with season in which some of the kills like you know whatever but let's just put these homages let's take the bathroom scene in halloween h2o that does not pay off with a murder let's actually put that actually in 2018 and have it pay off with two brutal murders and then the other two they just couldn't find anything else to mine and so that that's when they got galaxy brained with a lot of self-righteousness that never paid off. And then other than Lori and her arc, nothing mm-hmm. else really pays off in these other two movies. But let's get this Lori and Hawkins rom-com. Let's get that at least. Maybe... I want to see that man in Japan. I want to see yes. that man in Japan Japaning his ass off. Let's bring back short stories, you know? But also, like, I just want a comic about them in Japan and it's all done in like that zine style where it's like black, white, and maybe like cherry blossom pink. And those are the only colors. <laughs> and I want him like trying to or- order a uh, like one of those like cherry blossom frappuccinos for her in Japanese. <laughs> like I want it to be so cute and so charming. Not even necessarily falling in love with each other because I think there's something better of just them like realizing like, oh, we can be like adventure partners and have each other's back. Uh, Let me pitch you an idea just off the top of my dome for the Hawkins plus Lori equals forever short film. It's all silent. It's no dialogue, but it's Carpenter's score. But he somehow he turns the original theme, but it's now deep and romantic but at the same time for your point they don't necessarily need to fall romantically in love maybe it's about them falling in love with themselves and appreciating the cherry blossoms of japan yeah but also appreciating just spending time with someone else who cares about you and doesn't have expectations of you yes 
I could imagine a scene where they both are like, if if the move was going to happen, this is where the move should happen, right? <laughs> but neither of them making the move and them just being like, ah, I guess there's no move. Like, cool. Or it goes to the next day and we don't know if the move actually happened or not. We're, we're, we're trying to guess if it happened or not. And then, I love that. Like, yeah, like, so <laughs> there are way better movies than this fucking movie. <laughs> I would love to write the Halloween ends that I want if we're stuck with these characters. I mean, we're talking like fan fiction. Like, I legit think if someone picked up from the end of 2018 and the whole evil dies tonight, that's just not a thing. But they just kind of pick it up from there. But even the through line of, okay, so let's say we do fast forward to 2022 or 2023 or whatever. Like, what does that actually look like? I think that could work. If you eliminate the big ideas of like, I want to talk about evil, evil dying at night and standing up and fighting. Well, no, okay, but let's have like maybe two or three characters that we love and have them do that. Not the whole Haddonfield community, which we don't know who the motherfuckers are. Yeah, there's a lot of really great ways this could have gone. And it makes me sad that they didn't pick any of them because David Gordon Green decided to take his ham fist and <laughs> just beat everything to death. Did Joker or Halloween Kills comes out first? I think Joker beat it by a bit. Joker is October 4th, 2019. Kills is 2021. Yeah. Did he really let Joker influence Corey? It feels like it. Lose a game show sound. <laughs> like, <laughs> it also feels like maybe after making his rather very quick turnaround, frankly, piece about the insurrection, maybe he read an article about an insurrectionist that made him feel perhaps he painted them with too broad a brush. Like, <laughs> I'm being honest here. It kind of yeah. feels like he's like, Right, but like some of them are just broken wing birds <laughs> that never had anybody to properly love and heal them. And if we don't, like as a society, rally around them, they're going to inhale the evil by mouth breathing near a, an old man who lives in a sewer and hasn't been vaccinated. And then where will we be? Where will it we still be? feels like he's talking about Trumpism. Yeah, yeah. But like Michael Myers isn't Donald Trump. That's the thing, man. Who was president in 1978? Some terrible way, man. That wasn't Carter. Listen, man, Jimmy Carter would never. Oh, um, I was, I was, you think you think Jimmy Carter would put on a union suit and a mask and start murdering people? No, no. <laughs> Halloween 1978 isn't about that. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to be a dick here, but like. If you want to make elevated horror, I love that for you. You're so valid, sweetie. If you have to use a pre-existing universe, use a pre-existing universe that doesn't have a consistent, like, one guy, right? Yeah. Make an indie film or make a side project in an existing universe. But don't suddenly, and, and not even in your first attempt, in your second movie of a trilogy, start projecting <laughs> shit onto a guy that means a lot to a lot of people. Yeah. Don't like suddenly give him like, oh, well, he's Donald Trump, you see. Like, no. <laughs> Leave <laughs> Michael alone. Hilarious. I want to talk about elevated horror for a second. I don't know. I think it's kind of bullshit. 
because I feel like if you just want to make a good horror movie, does it really need to be labeled as being elevated? Well, so I think that elevated is a thing that horror fans have done to discredit other horror fans, and it bothers me, especially female okay. horror fans. Okay. Um, so we agree is bullshit. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But also, okay. <laughs> like, I think that the idea of like elevated horror as like something with a set of genre tropes does exist. Yeah. But I also don't think being like, oh, it's, I bet it's just genre horror. It's it's just <laughs> elevated. It's kind of like saying like it's a slasher. Yes, it probably is going to do a certain list of things. That doesn't negate its place as a horror movie. You know. Yeah. So it's it's a classification system, but I also think like saying like oh it's less of a film because it's elevated Ugh. is like not a thing either. Yeah. But like you know what this movie weirdly did do? He's making an exorcist. The exorcism doesn't have a guy. Like yeah. is that fair to say? That's hundred um, percent accurate. Yes. So I'd be interested to see if he was like, oh, I get to introduce a guy to this series. You know, it doesn't have to be like a guy, but you know what I mean. It's going to be a girl. It's going to be the woman, I should say. Right, but like the central villain. And he gets to build that central villain from scratch. And no one is going to be like, the central villain should actually be this character because he's been the central villain for 50 of these. Yeah. All right. I'd check that out. (laughs) Did you see the previews for it? No, I don't watch trailers. Oh, well, I guess it maybe don't show previewing is in the screeners no. I, yeah they, they showed they, it. they they encouraged us to uh subscribe to peacock but that was about all we got <laughs> suck a dick uh, but... but it's peacocktober so did you have a good time making this movie John? oh it was the greatest time of my life john it was the single greatest experience of my entire life as an actor why is that because think? i was a young girl making a movie with a bunch of gorilla filmmakers you're the oldest person on the movie was you. And everyone was young, <coughs> and there was, there was no polish to it at all. We all pitched in together, all the actors and makeup and hair and wardrobe shared one small little Winnebago. The art department had a truck. You know, it was a small little unit, and there was just something so pleasant about being a part of something where the, the food... That, that was brought into us was food made by some friend of Deborah's. That's correct. This woman showed up with lunch. It just was different than anything that's happened since. The minute it became unionized, and by the way, I'm a union member, I get it, but there was something really beautiful about, oh, look at that yeah, shot. That's nice. Look at that shot, John. It was, it was, this is the most fun I've ever had. Ever and, the, had. And, and the least stress for some reason. I can't explain that to you. I don't I, know why. I know why. Because we didn't have anything to lose. That's correct. What, what, yeah, that's what, correct. You know, like what? what there were no expectations. Nothing. Of us nothing. At all. Not of you as an actress or Not me as of a director. anything. No, no. It was show up and play, and yeah. it was play. I agree with you, a hundred percent. And oh, you're crying. It's great. We leave you here. We don't need to see anything else. But you've survived the night, Jamie Lee. I know. And we've survived the night watching this movie with the two of us talking. Boom. And we have a little montage here. It's been great hanging out with you for this time. It's awesome, John. As you've explained the film to me and explained all the fake parts. It was the single most important thing that will ever happen to me is doing this movie. It was was just great. It was 
It gave me everything that I have today in my life. No, no, it it no. did. But what it didn't give you was your natural ability, which you have to this day. Thank you. Listen, darling, I love you. I Thanks love for you hanging too, with me. John. For all those of you who have listened to us, thank you very much. Jamie Lee Curtis and John Carpenter, we'll see you in the movies. If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate us five stars, leave a review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Follow Kat, at Kat, underscore, Chinetti, on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Follow Marcus, at Showin Madlove, S-H-O-W-I-N-M-A-D-L-O-V, on Twitter and Letterboxd. Follow the show on Twitter at Kat and Mark. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenlee. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime. Yo, yo, yo. Before we get out of here, I want to take a little bit of time just to shout out a recent group of content creators that lost their jobs. I want to send a shout out to G4 TV. They came back in the year last year, but unfortunately Comcast took them off the air. The last year, going through the pandemic, one of the bright spots that I experienced was getting to re-experience G4. I go back as far as tech TV and when Extended Play, which was a video game review show, came on. I happened to stumble upon it, but it was really, really fun and really, really engaging. And when X-Play was created, it kind of blew out this idea that if you wanted to be a nerd or a gamer or whatever, you could do that and live in that very comfortably and, you know, make a living out of it. Over the years, you know, G4 grew, grew, and then it unfortunately ended. And then, like I said, last year it was brought back. And sadly, last week it was canceled. So I just want to send a shout out to a bunch of creators and thoughtful individuals, producers over there. You know, losing your job is never a good thing, but you did create a lot of joy for a lot of fans over the last year. So just want to send a shout out to a bunch of personalities over there. Kevin Pereira, Kasim G, Fiona Nova, Vanessa Guerrero, Gina Darling, Will Neff, Austin Creed, a.k.a. Xavier Woods. I can't believe he even came on board. And a bunch of other folks over there. Joe Gerard, a bunch of producers over there that were really, really good people. And, you know, my heart goes out to them. On YouTube, you can check out a bunch of the content. It's still up. Vibe Check was legitimately my favorite thing of 2022. It was really just a bunch of people kicking back, geeking out. And not even in a nerd way, but literally in the silliest way possible. (laughs) It was incredibly fun and funny. And again, just want to send my love to those people. And if you listen all this way, thank you for listening. And we'll catch you next week. Love you. Peace. Bye. This is a hyphen podcast production. Are you not entertained?